With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Osmo.com NFL lineup recap show presented by No House Advantage. Man, week 12, that was a wild one. And we got the perfect guy to help us break down exactly what happened. Adam, should my money share. Adam, how you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Uh, had a decent day yesterday, so broke up a nice losing streak for me. So that was nice. But uh, de- definitely more excited to talk about this slate than I was last week, that's for sure. <laughs> that's awesome, man. I look forward to, to seeing some of your exposures. Uh, this was is funny because like sometimes... Obviously, if things go horribly wrong, there's still the same number of guys winning the money. It's just that uh, it feels like maybe it was harder to get the winning combo, but we know that uh, someone did, so it's always fun to, to take a look here. Um, so uh, just uh, overall, was there anything that stood out to you about Week 12? I thought that it was a week where there were just a lot of like really, really similar plays coming in. And I always like weeks like that because it just makes it easier to go against the field and and be contrarian uh, as opposed to, you know, like the week before where I kind of felt like, you know, I had to play a bunch of Jeff Wilson. I had to play a lot of AJ Dillon and stuff like that. Um, So that was kind of my approach going in and obviously ended up working out with a lot of the the really popular pieces uh, busting. But one thing that I did notice, I think you mentioned it in the tweet you sent out right before the show was that, stacks still kind of sucked like uh for me it it, it really hurt because like for example Carson Wentz is my highest stone quarterback but I paired him with Pittman I paired him with uh Hilton I paired him with um Pascal and they all pretty much like Hilton caught a touchdown but they all pretty much did terrible so it was a situation where it's like oh cool I nailed the quarterback I nailed a bunch of pieces uh-huh. around them and then my stack still let me down so uh the w- weeks like that I think are always really difficult for like 150 max players or experienced players in general to win, because I think typically as a rule, we're correlating our lineups a bit more. So when correlation doesn't come through, it makes it really tough to have a good lineup. Yeah. It's pretty crazy to have a week where like pretty much none of the stacks came through for us, but you didn't sack up once with T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. What were you doing? Yeah. I mean, I had Hilton. I think I had like one, two percent Doyle or something. I definitely didn't have Doolin. Um, <laughs> yeah. But none of, none of them came together uh, the right way, I guess. Oh man, yeah. Uh, I was really heavy on some of the cheap stacks, and those just went horribly wrong. Yeah. So, uh, before we get into all the the plays from last week, uh, make sure to give us a thumbs up on YouTube, and if you haven't already subscribed, make sure to do that so you can keep up with all of our shows. 
And on the site, we have a lot of free content for you to use if you're not already an awesome member. We have the Monday Night Football Player Rankings, the NBA Main Slate Ownership Projections, and the NHL Player Rankings. Plus, uh, every day we have the NBA Deep Dive written by Adam that has a breakdown of the full slate. So make sure to check those out on the website. Let's start off by taking a look at the Millie Maker winner lineup. So this week, uh, Tommy Mac, 84, 84 uh, with 21 lineups, managed to, to get the W here. Matt Stafford as quarterback, that's, that's kind of surprising to me because uh, obviously the Rams had uh, a bit of a slow day, but he got there. Odell Beckham Jr., that uh that was really the play that that made it work and uh how, how did you feel about the ram stack yeah i didn't get to much of it i thought it was pretty difficult like i thought when i did the show with josh i mentioned stafford as an interesting tournament quarterback because he was so low owned but i thought the issue was going to be you know who do you pair him with because cooper cup was so expensive and Stafford wasn't cheap. And so, like you had said at the beginning, you like cheap stacks. I did too. I didn't think there was a ton of really good cheap value at running back or, or wide receiver. So I liked paying down at quarterback and it's made it tough. You know, obviously he uh, didn't use cop. He used Beckham and he used Henderson, which, you know, I think made some sense. Uh, Beckham 5k, a, a reasonable price tag. Henderson was pretty cheap as well. So uh, I'd like the Rams in the sense that they were low owned and we know that they're a high powered offense. I also just thought they were really difficult to get to. And I preferred some other spots. Agreed. Yeah. I thought uh, Green Bay definitely had the potential of a shootout. Uh, it looks like he didn't go with the run back though. So yeah. Uh, Cup always a tough fade if you have Stafford, and and the the game was a weather game. The winds were 15 miles an hour, and it was about 35 degrees. So, a lot of factors making it a little bit tough to get to the Rams. But that just mean meant less people had him. Odo Beckham Jr. was a really interesting play because Ben Skowernek, uh was out for that one. He had been the WR three previous game, so I thought Odo Beckham Jr. was a nice play. Now, uh, the running backs, Fournette, it seemed like nobody got to Fournette last week, which was a little bit surprising. We had um, a much higher projected own than he ended up coming in. So what do you think people saw in, in Fournette that they were staying away? Yeah, my guess is just that he was locked out by people's rules because like we know people were going to Godwin. We know people were going to Evans. I don't know if maybe it was just, you know, like there's a lot of people that just don't play Fournette with those guys or if it was just they, you know, had difficulty getting to Fournette at that salary when they were, you know, paying down for Miles Sanders or, or whatever they were doing. But I don't know. That was a spot where um, on DraftKings, I ended up being overweight on Yahoo. I was underweight on, on Fournette. So um, it, it wasn't like I, I thought it was, you know, a great spot or anything, but on DraftKings, I thought he made a lot of sense, and I was kind of surprised he was as low on as he was. Sam, I wonder if it has to do with the fact that Gronk was so high on. Maybe right. people didn't like pairing them together. Gronk, I think he was uh, the highest zone on the slate at 36%, which – oh, shoot, I forgot that. Uh, okay, so the, the ownership on the Millie Maker on, on Fantasy Cruncher isn't quite accurate because they don't import every single lineup. But very high owned uh, still. Um, and then Joe Mixon, it seemed like everyone's been loving the Bengals stack recently. Mixon came in at 11%, which seemed pretty average. But um, I can't remember. Like I feel like there were some running backs that everyone wanted to play last week, and it seems like 
Tommy Tommy Mac faded them. Yeah, I mean James Robinson. So like I, I have the slant ownership up, and it's not the same as the Millie, obviously, but it should be directionally right at least. Uh, Robinson was twenty six percent. Sanders was twenty six percent. McCaffrey was twenty five. Uh, so you had a lot of ownership going to those guys, and that that's kind of you know why I I thought it was a fun slate was you had those guys were obviously good plays, but you had Joe Mixon, you had Fournette, you had Jonathan Taylor, you had all these other running backs that were you know strong plays as well that were just getting a lot less ownership. Oh my goodness. Michael Porter expected to miss the rest of the season. Jeez. Yeah, back surgery. Wow. Again. That's that's disappointing. Uh, but I'm sure a lot of you guys are NBA fans, but we'll stick to NFL mostly here. Um, okay, so Jalen Waddle. It seemed like not many people were on him this week, I guess because the price went up, but still in a good spot as wide receiver one, Carolina. Hope it was a slow team, but he got there in spades. It seems like he was really one of the plays, in addition to Fournette, that that was kind of mandatory on, on a slate where wide receivers maybe didn't have the best performance. How do you feel about Waddle? Yeah, I had a lot of him too. I thought that he made sense. You know, just he, he like you said, the salary came up a little bit, but he was still cheap. He's still heavily involved uh, offensively. I thought that he, he's kind of another example of, of kind of how weird the slate was, though. Like, when you have a cheap Tua and then you have Waddle go for 31.7 points, you would assume that Tua is like a tournament winning quarterback, but he wasn't. You had Jasicki get shut down in that game as well. So uh, it kind of ended up, you needed him as a one-off, like the stack didn't really get you there. But um, yeah, I thought that was another one where he was really low owned, even though, you know, yeah, maybe he didn't like project quite as well as some other receivers, but uh, the rate, the, the range of outcomes was still favorable. The ceiling was still certainly very high. Uh, so he was another guy that I thought was a really good play in tournaments. Agreed. Yeah. Especially because the wide receivers in the mid range were a little bit tougher to get to. Now, Robbie Anderson is a name I'm shocked to see in the Millie maker winning lineup because he didn't even do that good. He got 2.5 points. Honestly, like that's probably what everyone expected because he's been having a really slow season and switching to Cam Newton probably isn't that big a, a help. But any reaction to a dud being in the lineup? We saw it last week with Tommy Tremble and now Robbie Anderson is the key. Just you play Can- Panthers players and the thesis is who you can get around them. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, I mean, I, it, it makes sense, I guess, just because so many stacks did fail and such a high percentage of people stacked that you don't have to have like the perfect lineup to win those weeks. But still, obviously, very difficult to beat this many people when, especially when it's a receiver. It's one thing when it's a cheap tight end and it's just kind of like, okay, whatever. Um, I was able to get good pieces around them, but the opportunity costs of the wide receiver positions are are pretty high. It's not like there were no cheap receivers that did well. So, um, I, I was really surprised to see him in the winning lineup. Yeah, uh, that's a shocker. Uh, I guess that was the kind of day it was. You didn't need a ton of points uh, to win, 225. It seemed like mostly the running backs went off. So, like, it was a little crazy because I feel like some of the running backs that went off early, like, had a pretty good points, didn't wind up, wind up in the winning lineup. But uh, finally, he did have one uh, offensive player versus defense, Robbie Anderson versus the Dolphins. So I'm sure a lot of people might have excluded that possibility. Uh, uh, Robbie Anderson didn't really help that much anyway, but Dolphins defense versus Cam, uh, how do you feel about that one? Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins, I think, were were fine. I personally wouldn't have – so I I personally exclude the player against my defense. I also wouldn't have had Waddle with them just because 
typically if your defense is doing well, like if the other team isn't scoring, it's less likely that you're passing. But also if you get a defensive touchdown, which obviously you're hoping for with your defense, that's a possession taken away from, you know, your, your Jalen Waddle. Um, so on full slates, I typically exclude both of those on smaller slates. I'm certainly willing to relax it. Um, but it's not something that I think is like necessarily a right or wrong thing. It's just a preference that, that I have where, I would just rather, like, I know I'm playing all of these defenses, really. I would rather just, you know, have my Dolphins defenses not negatively correlate with other parts of my lineup. Um, but if you are going to play or a player against your defense, I think it is preferable for it to be a wide receiver, especially on full P, uh, full PPR sites, because they can, especially someone cheap like Anderson, he can have a good game just on, you know, eight catches for 80 yards or whatever. Uh, so it's still, you know, it's not something I do, but I think if you're going to do it, that's the route you you do it with. Yeah, definitely. I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, with having a player versus your defense, but it's just a situation where if you're comparing Robbie Anderson versus another $4,700 receiver, like that'd be a negative that he is going up against the opposing defense in your lineup. But Tommy Mack uh, probably isn't regretting having an offensive player versus defense right now. So congrats to Tommy Mack. All right, let's go to the slant. Let's look at some of the chalkiest plays. And uh, one of the shockers, I guess this wasn't, like, overly surprising. I mean, we knew this was going to be the chalk defense, but the Texans' defense, number one in ownership. Um, on our pro plays tool, we rank players based on how good they are, and they're our consensus number one play. Uh, so apparently the field agreed with that. 31% owned reaction uh should never <laughs> be there i mean it's uh for a couple of reasons i mean one defenses are just so volatile that with a few exceptions you know on a 10 game slate or you know full slate you just shouldn't have that level of ownership anyway but especially when it's the texans you know like i understand i understand why it happened they were i think the pretty obvious cash defense they were 2300 there weren't really many defenses that stood out as great options this week so it was really appealing to just throw the texans in cheat at a cheap price tag against Zach Wilson and the Jets and move on. But that's also kind of just one of the easiest positions to differentiate in tournaments and take advantage of the volatility and hope that, you know, the Texans don't do well and you get on a team that scores a touchdown or two. So um, really should never have like the, the ownership should never be that high on a defense, especially one like Houston. But I also understand, you know, why people were playing them for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's not surprising that everyone wanted to play the Texans versus the Jets. They were cheap and uh, facing. I mean, their defense is really all about who you're going up against. And the Jets with Zach Wilson have been pretty abysmal. That being said, the Jets did have a 21 point total, so Vegas wasn't totally buying into the idea that they were going to absolutely go get smoked by the Texans. Um, but yeah, this one didn't work out that great. Six points at 2,200. Now the next two players, it seems like everyone wanted a piece of this Tampa Bay-Indianapolis game because Pittman and Gronk were both very high-owned. Uh, I feel like whenever you get receivers at like 28 and 29% ownership, you got to be damn sure that they're in a really killer spot. I don't know if this was it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think... So the, the way I viewed this with Pittman is I thought he was clearly a good play, but like you're saying, 
whenever you get this kind of ownership going to wide receiver, it's kind of similar to what we just said about the defense. You know, it's not the same level of volatility, but it's, it's still a very volatile position where, um, you know, things can go wrong, even in, in the best spots. So I think that Pittman was overowned for sure. Um, I think like I, I ended up with more than the field, but the reason for me was I played a ton of very low on Carson Wentz. So I took the, I paired him with the low on quarterback and said, all right, you know, I think Pittman's in a good spot, but I'm going to maximize, you know, my ceiling if Pittman has a good game here and, you know, really, and get Carson Wentz with him. So I think it's a situation where if I hadn't played a bunch of Wentz, I would have had a lot less Pittman. Like I know you were around half the field. Um, that That's probably where I would have ended up if I hadn't played Wentz. Uh, playing Wentz just kind of allowed me to pull him up because I was still getting very contrarian lineups that way. Nice. Yeah, that, that's a great way to get leverage on the field is if there's a really popular wide receiver, you go with the quarterback that that, that wide receiver plays for because if Pittman did have a really big day, there's a great correlation there. And it wasn't a slate where quarterbacks really were uh, like standing out that much from one another. So now Gronk, uh, tight end, there are fewer plays. Uh and it was a kind of tough tight end slate. So I'm not shocked that he was popular, but 28% ownership. It seemed like everybody kind of co- like gravitated towards Gronk, which was a bit surprising. He paid it off, though, 22 fantasy points. How did you feel about Gronk? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good play for sure. I think that he probably shouldn't have been twice as popular as you know some of the other tight ends, but – um, he, it was, you know, it was the only game I think on the entire slate with a total over 50, uh, he was cheap. You know, the position wasn't very strong as far as payoff options. You only had Pitts and, uh, Kittle Kelsey was on by. So that opens up more ownership. Um, so I thought Gronk made a lot of sense. It was a spot where, you know, I wasn't playing a lot of Tom Brady. Um, I didn't really want to just be throwing a bunch of very popular Gronk into lineups, but, uh, I thought that he, he made a lot of sense. Like he was a good play for sure. Nice. And then a couple of value running backs, James Robinson. I think this one was all about the matchup versus Atlanta. I will mention, though, Atlanta was, uh, I believe they were favored in this game. Uh, so Jacksonville, yeah, Atlanta, 23-point total, Jacksonville, 22. So I guess it was basically a pick them. That's a lot better than your typical game for Jacksonville. Plus, um, I mean, as far as weather, the uh, in Jacksonville pretty good this time of year compared to other spots. And then Sanders coming back the second week from that injury. I think people expected him to have a huge workload over the um, over Boston Scott with Jordan Howard out, but that didn't really exactly happen. So what do you make of Robinson and Sanders? And with Sanders, did we kind of make an error in judgment that we thought he's going to have a bigger workload than he did? I think that they were both good plays. So like in Robinson's case, I like it, it was obvious that it was a good spot for him. He was only 6,200. He should have a big role in that backfield, but it was just an example where, you know, I thought there were a lot of really comparable running backs that you could get to. Uh, he was projected for 14% ownership and then coming in at 26%. So, it, you know, at least in the slant where the field is typically a little bit sharper and ownership gets a little bit more concentrated. So, you know, I think it was a good play, but it was also just, I didn't think he was, you know, drastically better than a lot of the the alternatives. Miles Sanders was one where I think that like, even if you were concerned about 
Boston Scott, and then you know you had Gainwell active in place of, of Howard. He was still so cheap, and we did see I think it was 16 carries the week before for 94 yards. Um, he was so cheap that there was still a, a path to success for him. But at the same time, those concerns still existed, and so when you have ownership going to him and you had some other pivots you could go to uh, in that price range, whether it's Ty Johnson or uh, Hilliard, or I think there were a couple of others that they got some ownership. Um, you do want to keep in mind that even though he projects well, there are still question marks there. So it was just a situation where, you know, I thought Robinson and Sanders were, were good, um, but at their ownership compared to some, some other options um, there, there were plenty of other ways to go. Yeah, that's true. I was kind of on Sanders because I thought he had such an advantage over Boston and Scott and kind of gained well as far as getting touches, a really run first team. But that didn't really materialize. Uh, obviously, it's, it's tough to, to know exactly how to, to rank players every single week, but that one didn't work he, out. He also got hurt, I think. He did? Okay. That... I, I'm not positive. I want to say at least for a while he left the game. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a, lot, a little bit better. All right, we'll talk about some of these other guys, but before we do, I want to mention that we have a Cyber Monday deal uh, right now. You get 75% off your first week of Osmo Plus Platinum when you use the promo code CYBER, uh, all caps, for full access to everything we have, just $750 for the week. So if you've been waiting for a chance to try out all of our tools, for NFL, we have player projections, ownership projections, lineup builder and uh, the boom boss tool for NFL, which kind of gives you the probabilities. We think every player is going to go off in addition to the top stacks, which kind of gives you the probability that your stacks are going to succeed. So if you haven't already checked out awesome.com premium, this is a great opportunity with promo code cyber. All right. Sanders uh, left after 22 snaps and never came back. Oh, he did. Okay. Well, that makes me feel a lot better. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I thought it was just a bad play, but maybe just unlucky. It, it sucked because Christian McCaffrey also left after the first half. Yeah. So just uh, there's only about a 5% chance that a running back gets injured in a game. Uh, maybe with Sanders and McCaffrey, given they've been injured recently, that chance is higher. But is that just bad luck or what, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you really can take away from that, like, uh, it's not like it was McCaffrey's first game back or anything either. So uh, I don't, I don't think there's, there's anything, you know, process wise you can take away from uh, guys getting hurt. You know, same goes for Dalvin cook as well. Yeah. That was, it's just a brutal week for, for the injuries. Uh, it feels like we say that every week, but yeah. it's like when half of the lineups are going to have one of Sanders and McCaffrey, and then all those lineups are dead. That's, that's kind of tough. Yeah. Where... The, I mean, the biggest the biggest takeaway is just like that's a reason why, you know, like when you compare ownership in football to like basketball, for example, you know, when someone gets to like 25 percent in football, you're just like, wow, he's really popular. Whereas in basketball, it's just like, yeah, OK, whatever. It's, you know, the injury risk is one in, in addition to, you know, just more volatility and scoring. But um, that is one reason why, you know, it, you can just play more contrarian in football. Yeah, it feels like in basketball, the, the injury risk isn't that high, like compared to what I thought. So like maybe one guy leaves due to injury per slate or something, but not really anything to worry about in basketball. But football, a whole different story. Now we got a couple of uh, popular receivers, Godwin and Cooks. Godwin, uh, I think with uh, you, you had uh, Antonio Brown continuing to be out for this one and he came off a big week. 
seven K though, not the cheapest. And then Cooks was kind of the value option against a weak Jets defense. Uh, neither one of these guys paid off either. So there seems to be a trend here. Only one of the top 10 uh, project or own players really had a good game. What do you make of the wide receivers on, that were popular? Because, like, uh, I mean, Godwin and Cooks, it seemed like they're in a great spot, but really didn't have much performance to speak of. A really tough slate to nail wide receiver. Yeah, I think it just goes back to the volatility of the position. You know, it's it's a volatile sport in general, but even more so for receivers because, you know, running backs, at least they're being handed the ball and you can kind of count on that workload. You know, the ball's going to be in their hands. For receivers, there, there's, you know, there's the volatility in touchdowns, but there's also, you know, how are they being covered from game to game? That's going to change. Uh you know, their, their number of targets is going to change. You have to have the quarterback actually put the ball on them to get the point. So there's just more volatility in general in the position. Godwin and Cooks, I think both were, were good plays. Godwin, I think, was a little bit easier to get away from just because he was more expensive, like you said. There were uh, some, you know, cheaper receivers that, that still gave you a high ceiling. Uh, but, you know, they, they were good plays. It is something that I think we've seen this year and kind of seen it across all sports, really. But I think it's just the result of, you know, more and more people – using quality projections and having access to programs like fantasy cruncher or, or whatever um, you're seeing just kind of more concentrated ownership on the best projected plays, even if there are similar players around them that have a similar range of outcomes. So uh, that is something I've been trying to pay attention to a little bit in tournaments, you know, just being more willing, understanding there's going to be kind of bigger swings because people are more people are on the quote unquote best plays, but that, uh, playing contrarian kind of also can pay off a little bit more because you're just getting even more ownership going to one or two individual players at a position. Definitely. Yeah. I think that uh, being contrarian in football, definitely interesting, especially uh, given the hit rate of certain positions and football is really low. So wide receiver is one of those where even the best wide receivers may be 50, 50 or a little bit better to, to get a touchdown in a game they don't get a touchdown, it's a lot harder for them to, to make a winning lineup. So uh, I think that contributes to volatility a ton. All right, let's, uh, let's look at some stack ownership here. So we'll filter by QB. Before we do, I want to mention the uh, sponsor of the show, No Pass Advantage. So they, uh, it's, a, it's a DFS site, except instead of picking players, you pick player props. So you're picking a handful of props and you compete in DFS style contests that award the prize pool for, you know, uh, whoever gets the most right. You rate them by confidence level. They give you different points for each prop. And you can get a $25 deposit bonus with a promo code AWESOMO. Uh, it's a better way to bet props because you're betting against other people instead of the house. And that's going to be a lot easier to win at. So no House Advantage is a great place to, to get into some more DFS contests, and you can use our projections and the optimal lineup tool to help you take these uh, these No House Advantage tournaments down. So um, one thing we uh, talk about a little bit on the site, we have the projections on football. They don't have odds on the over or under, so there's a lot of props like rushing touchdowns where the under – on a normal prop would be like minus 200, but I know has advantage. It's just 50, 50. So you can get a big advantage on those touchdowns and interception props. They'll give you a good foundation to start with. And the interceptions you want to go with the over most likely, uh, but they have contests for tonight's game. Make sure to check them out. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's look at the quarterback ownership. We mentioned that quarterbacks really uh, didn't perform very well on this slate, but Let's uh let's look at a couple of the chalky ones. So Tom Brady, Cam Newton, the most popular. Brady, I mean, fantastic quarterback. I can't really argue with that, but it looks like you didn't have that much. I didn't have that much. So is that just because of the line of construction? Yeah, I think it was a situation where um it, it, I talked about it, I think la- I think it was last week with the Dallas and Chiefs game too. Um Brady, I think clearly was a top option, but the problem was just like how do you build a Tom Brady stack that is still contrarian. You know, you had a lot of ownership going to Godwin. You had a lot, or at least a decent amount going to Evans. Uh, on the other side, you had a lot going to Pittman. You had a lot going to Gronk, you know? So how, how do I build this lineup where I'm not just playing popular guys in four, like three or four roster spots where if Tom Brady does really well, cool. Everyone has the same build as me basically. And so um, that's typically I'm, I'm fine playing popular quarterbacks if I can, you know, build some sort of like contrarian stack. Like if there's, if everyone's playing Godwin and nobody's playing Evans or something, but when ownership's going to every receiver and the number one receiver on the other team uh, and even going to Jonathan Taylor as a run back, it just becomes really difficult uh, to, for, for me to get there. Agreed. Yeah. I think that uh, it becomes a little bit tough with those expensive stacks to, to make a lineup that you like with the rest of it. So if everyone has that same combo of players, you, really got to get a lot of luck going for you with the rest of your plays to get the the winner there where with the um the cheap stacks you can get a little bit more of a, uh, a solid lineup around them the most uh, a couple of the cheap quarterbacks were really popular on yesterday's slate cam newton and tyrod taylor both kind of running quarterbacks that that had great matchups neither one really did great I, I was uh, I felt like Tyron Taylor had a good good opportunity because he got he did a pretty good first half and then it kind of just slowed to a halt in the second half. But the Texans are so bad that isn't exactly a surprise. And then Cam Newton, at one point he was five for twenty in passing attempts. So we kind of knew these guys weren't great when we picked them, but. Uh, I see you're a little bit down on Cam compared to the field. Was that just because he was too chalky? Yeah, I think it was just an ownership thing. Um, Taylor, I was okay getting to. You had Brandon Cooks, who you could pair him with. Um, I think I played some Taylor naked as well, which normally I don't do. But it was a situation where uh, I knew that you know a large percentage of the Tyrod Taylor lineups were going to have Brandon Cooks because you know nobody really wants to go to anybody else from that team uh and he runs enough to where i didn't mind doing that in some lineups but for cam uh, i didn't want to play him naked because i thought that even though he has rushing upside there were multiple receivers on carolina you could go to whether that be mccaffrey Moore, anderson uh so i didn't want to just like completely ignore all of those guys but then you kind of run into the same situation where Newton's getting ownership mccaffrey's really popular that's obviously you know the preferred guy that i'd have him with uh 
DJ Moore was still, I think, around like 10% or something like that. So uh, it was just another situation where, you know, Newton was was fine, but it wasn't like he gave – he was like a crazy good play, I didn't think. And you had ownership going to him and most of his pieces. So um, I kind of ended up just looking elsewhere. Nice. Yeah, I kind of liked him just because uh, he was a great value, bringing that rushing upside. And Christian McCaffrey was a good play. Obviously, that went terribly. So, <laughs> uh, but Tyrod, it looks like you're a little bit higher on uh, to to get that uh, Cooks correlation with Cooks being the uh, a good play and also high on to like that. Um, it looks like uh, we were both really low on the next most popular quarterbacks: Herbert, Grapple, Burrow, Hertz, Cousins. It seems like these were kind of the mid-range guys, uh, excluding Grapple, who was a little bit cheaper. But uh, was that more just because he wanted to to go cheaper at quarterback? Yeah, I just thought lineups looked a lot better with cheap quarterbacks. Uh, there was obviously upside on guys like Herbert and Burrow um, and, and Jalen Hurts. There always is. But, and, you know, Grapple is in a good spot. But their ownership wasn't – it's not like they were getting – for the most part, much less ownership than the cheap guys. And I thought that the cheap guys just kind of gave me better uh, roster construction. I was able to spend up for guys that I wanted at running back or at, at wide receiver a little bit easier. So um, I was willing to give up, you know, maybe a little bit of top end ceiling. You know, someone like Herbert is more likely to just completely destroy a slate than someone like Matt Ryan or, or Carson Wentz. But um, I, I was willing to give that up in exchange for what I was able to get elsewhere in my lineups. Man, Matt Ryan, like, I thought he was a good play at 4.7% ownership, but he only came in at 3%. A great matchup versus Jacksonville, whose weakness uh, is passing uh, defense. So that one seemed like the best play, like, on paper. It didn't work out at all. Uh, Like, looking back, do you feel like that was – just bad luck or was, was it uh maybe a trap play uh i mean even as i made the play i felt like it was a trap play but just because i've been on matt ryan enough weeks this year at low ownership and he's been absolutely awful but the thing was i mean it was th- this was kind of the opposite of of like what we had talked about with some of these other teams cordero patterson was like six percent owned i had no issue pairing ryan with patterson kyle pitts wasn't super popular given you know it was a weak tight end position i know uh in the boom bust tool we had him pretty far on their own so getting to him made some sense gauge was fine he just had you, you had a cheap quarterback in a good matchup uh yeah matt ryan has you know his issues but you had a cheap quarterback in a good matchup with low owned skill players you could pair him with that were also in a good matchup so it was a spot where uh, i wasn't super confident in matt ryan by any stretch but i thought that it was a very high upside spot given you know relative to, to ownership i see yeah, i agree with that uh, I would have done that again if, yeah. uh, if we did it again. But uh, Zach Wilson also uh, really unpopular. I thought he was kind of a good play because of the matchup versus Houston. Another guy, he got a rushing touchdown, so I ended up with 11 points and a, a Jets win. So that was a little bit unusual. But uh, do you feel confident that, that Wilson was a good play yesterday? Yeah, just – I don't think Zach Wilson's good, but I don't think Houston's good either. And it was just one of those games where 
Uh, when you get two teams like this, there's always the potential that you just end up with a really ugly game where nobody scores, but you also get some sneaky shootout potential where uh, neither defense does anything and both offenses just go up and down the field. So I thought that Wilson at very low ownership made a lot of sense, especially because you also had some solid receivers to pair him with. Uh, Corey Davis was out, so you had Elijah Moore, you had Jamison Crowder potentially as uh, good options. You could run it back with Cooks and be on the contrarian side of that game stack as opposed to the popular side with Tyrod Taylor. So um, that's another one where, you know, I'd go back to it because it's not that I was playing Zach Wilson with a ton of confidence thinking that, you know, he's going to succeed a huge percentage of the time. It was more so, I think, that when he does succeed at this ownership, it's going to pay off really, really well. So the fact that he didn't have a good game isn't really surprising, and I would certainly go back to it because I think if you could play that slate, you know, a thousand times, uh, he's going to fail a lot, but he's going to pay it off really nicely when he does well. Definitely. Um, now, um, Ryan Griffin, Damn, how did that guy end up in my lineups? I feel like that must be a bug <laughs> because, uh, of the, uh, Jets tight end. Yeah. Wow. I need to, if that's, uh, if that actually had him, that's a big, uh, big flaw in my process. I'll have to think about that. Uh, okay. Tua, uh, we were both quite over the field. He was only 1%. I feel like he's a pretty good quarterback uh, as far as like passing volume and uh, he hasn't had any below performances, but we are both your five X. I was 10 X another guy that it seems like he should have done a lot better given how Waddle did. What do you think? Yeah. Um, I, I know on Yahoo, I think I had like 25% or something too. So uh, I was definitely on Tua yesterday and it, it was just another one where I thought, you know, I like Jalen Waddle. I thought Jasicki was a good, relatively low-owned tight end option. Uh, he obviously didn't do well, but um, yeah, it's just you know I, I don't I never have a ton of confidence into him, but he's cheap. He has playmakers that you can roster at relatively low ownership. Uh, I just think it's a situation where you get paid off a lot better with this approach. I think when it goes well, than you do you know trying to win basically coin flips against fourteen percent of the field that stack Tampa Bay. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, it's been a, a tougher season for these value quarterbacks. And I, I didn't exactly have uh, Mike White when he went for 400. That was a little bit too contrary. But one guy, I'm surprised Tannehill was 0.1% owned. Like, could he be any lower owned? <laughs> that, that, like, would you have wanted to have him given that his ownership ended up being that low? Probably not. Like, I, I don't think that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, who are you pairing with Westbrook? I guess um, it, it just seemed like it was a really not, not even a knock on Tannehill, just kind of like the, the lineup as a whole is going to suck. And, you know, yeah, like 0.1% is obviously really low, but I'll take 1% to a over 0.1% Tannehill when it means getting Waddle and Jasicki instead of uh, Nick Westbrook and whoever else was playing for Tennessee yesterday. Definitely. All right, let's look at some contrarian plays. So let's sort by uh, Adam's ownership from highest to lowest, and we'll kind of pick out some low on guys. But before we do, let's uh, talk some uh, Hall of Fame. So, guys, if you want to be uh, in this avatar contest, go to osmo.com slash avatar. Make that your icon on any of the fantasy sites. And then if you place top three in a contest with other, over 5,000 people, you can tweet the win to the Osmo Hall of Fame account and get a free month of Osmo Plus Platinum. 
and uh, it's always great to see the, the success in the community. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the Hall of Fame here. So, um, all right. It's uh, I, a little bit uh, thrown off here. Uh, all right. Okay, okay. All right, Eric Lindquist. I, I've seen this guy's name before. What's the best way to recover from a bad NFL Sunday morning? Have a decent NBA Sunday night. That's always a great way to, to do it is uh, you chase your losses. And that really paid off for Eric. He got third for 4K in the uh, NBA slate. So, and he did pretty well in DraftKings as well. Uh, so congrats, Eric. I'm sure you guys see him on all our shows. Good to see him on the top of the leaderboards last night. Sean F. Thanks, Osmo and the whole crew. I was in first for a while and came up short, but nevertheless, a great showing. Shout out to Lafayette for convincing me to stick with my guy and play Fournette. He went from $50 to $2,700. That's a killer return. And Fournette was a really good contrarian play. So congrats to Sean. Elway's Army. I feel like I always see this guy in NHL. He finished first in the NHL contest, took down 1,300. A lot of uh, a lot of flames there. So he he definitely crushed it uh, in NHL. Make sure to, to check out our NHL shows in the afternoons if you guys are a fan of that. Congrats to Elway's Army. Sean Jeezy, first for 1K in NBA. Uh, this looks like it was a couple of nights ago, that triple overtime game. So that was a little crazy. He didn't even need that many players from the Sacramento LA game though, to finish first in the mini max. Really tough uh, thing to do given how many entrants there are in that. So congrats to Sean. And finally, Jordan Lockhart still got it. This guy, he, uh, he's been making a huge run over the, the end of the year. Uh, he made up for a terrible main slate with the first in the night slate NFL showdown and uh, our third and night slate NFL and first in NBA. So ended up coming out with 40K. Not a bad day for, for Jordan Lockhart. Um, congrats to Jordan once again. I feel like we we're saying that pretty much every day. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm swimming by ships. Uh, or Adam's ownership here. We'll find some some low-owned guys that he had. Uh, once you already mentioned 5%, you had him at 24%, so that was a pretty bold stance. Matt Ryan, David Johnson. So uh, that was a guy that I feel like most people may have overlooked, but a running back in a game versus the Jets, is that mainly the thesis of the play in addition to the price? Yeah, kind of just throwing stuff at the wall. Uh David Johnson, Ty Johnson had both of those guys just as cheap running backs that um, had no confidence in, but they let me build a good lineup. Obviously, I wish I'd used Hilliard in that price range instead, but um, they also correlated with, you know, some of the plays that I was using, you know, use, we talked before, use some Zach Wilson. Uh, so that and some Tyrod Taylor. So I had just pretty heavy exposure to that game in general. Uh, so it made some sense to mix those guys in as well. Um, obviously it didn't work out, but it's not going to work out a lot when you're talking about those two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to uh, get some exposure to some of the lower price guys. So David Johnson is good as any. And then uh, Kenny Galladay. I, it seemed like that the public was off the Giants yesterday. Uh, and that game ended up being a huge dud. But 
Daniel Jones is pretty popular among like our Osmo guys and in, in this contest. And then Kenny Galladay, you, you were pretty on. So was that mostly because Shepard and Tony were out? Uh, yeah. Um, and I think that it was just a, a spot where he wasn't expensive. I think I had a little bit of Daniel Jones as well. Um, I know I played some Ingram too. You had Kyle Rudolph out as well. So uh, it was kind of like if the Giants can manage to move the ball, which they couldn't, but if they could, you know, it kind of was a situation where like, you know, red zone targets sort of have to go to Ingram and Galladay. And so I thought that at low ownership, there was a pretty nice ceiling there. Marvin Jones, another guy that you were three X to field on. I was a little bit over. It seemed like uh, maybe that was a run back with the Matt Ryan stacks. So was that just because you needed some Jacksonville player? Yeah, I actually didn't even realize till right now that I had that much of him. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's like, who, who are you going to use? You know, LaVisca was getting some ownership. Robinson had some ownership. Jones didn't. So um, with how much Atlanta I had, I'm going to just end up getting to, you know, any relevant piece from Jacksonville probably. Definitely. And uh, I like to see that you had 4.5 exit field on T.Y. Hilton. I'm embarrassed. I didn't have any. And uh, it wasn't exactly a breakout game, but he did get in the end zone. I assume that was just a stack park- partner for Wentz, who also was low-owned. Yeah, a lot of Hilton, or more Hilton than I would have ever played, more uh, Zach Pascal than I would have ever played. But uh, yeah, kind of was the, the idea was, you know, if I'm going to take a stand on Wentz, obviously I'm going to get a lot of Pittman, but I also want to be on the other receivers. You know, I don't, I don't want to play a bunch of Wentz and then still not get there when T.Y. Hilton has a big game. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't go the Doyle and Doolin route. Yeah. Uh, it looks like um, a lot of defenses that were low-owned, so that's kind of what you're saying with um, going with defenses that, that have low ownership. I assume that those are mostly dart throws. Yeah, that's pretty much how I view defense in general. Awesome. And then Ramondre Stevenson, I was surprised he was only 1% because he came off a pretty big week uh, in that blowout versus the, the um, Falcons. So he was only 1%. Do you think that uh, the public was too down on him? I thought it was a situation where like there were better plays, but also the ceiling like, like his media projection didn't quite tell the whole story because you had Damian Harris back. So obviously you can't rely on Stevenson to have a big game, but there's still uncertainty in how they're going to be utilized and who's, you know, who's going to get goal line work. It's going to kind of depend on who happens to be on the field on a particular drive a lot of the time. So it was a spot where, you know, if you were five, 6% owned, I wouldn't think he was that good of a play, but at 1%, I just kind of thought there was a little bit more upside than he was getting credit for. Definitely. Uh, let's talk about my ownership. Uh, I noticed right away Aaron Jones, only 2.3% owned at 20%. I was just hoping that he'd be, it'd just be the normal roles since he only missed a week. But it seemed like AJ Dillon did get more of the work last yesterday. It, it seemed like everyone was playing as if AJ Dillon was going to be the starter, but then Aaron Jones was ruled in. We, we had up on the site. Jones being still in because I felt like it was kind of it could go either way but how did he play that one and I'm trying to find AJ Dillon's ownership because that seems like a key part of the puzzle like uh, he ended up being seven percent what do you think of that what do you think of Aaron Jones being only uh 2.3 percent I thought Aaron Jones was a good play in tournaments like it's not one where I went that route I ended up right around the field but I actually kind of I did spend some time sort of thinking about what to do with him when I realized I wasn't getting that much because there was just so much uncertainty there. And I love going to spots like this where 
the field as a whole basically has just decided that Aaron Jones is like not going <laughs> to play a big role when really nobody has any idea. So, you know, it, it just struck me as one of those spots where there was a decent chance that you and I were doing this show today and we're just sitting here like, oh my God, like how was 6K Aaron Jones 2% owned? Like, you know, why did I only play 2%? You know, I ended up not, uh, I ended up just kind of sticking with it and playing a bunch of Patterson and whatever. But um, that, that was definitely a spot where I thought, if you are aggressively taking those stands over the course of a season, it has the potential to go really well uh, once or twice, which is really all you need over the course of the season. So um, I, I think, you know, obviously it didn't work out, um, but, but like you knew the risks going in, you know, one, he could not play, but in that case, you're just swapping him to AJ Dillon's. So that's not even really a risk. Um, two, he could just split carries with AJ Dillon and that's, you know, likely, but the upside there is that he just plays his normal role. He gets, three touchdowns at 6k and you're just in a fantastic spot. So um, not, you know, again, not a play that I made, but I know you had a lot of him looking at some other uh, good players. They had, they had a good amount of him. So I think that is a spot where being aggressive there um, is just a, a pretty good spot to be in over the course of the season. Great. Yeah. That one, it seemed like uh, I'm, I'm surprised more people didn't try to swap from Aaron, AJ Dillon to Aaron Jones. Once AJ Dillon was uh, once Aaron Jones was ruled in, because that was only $100. I'm sure a lot of people could have made that swap. But um, another guy that was pretty low owned that we were way over on was Corderell Patterson. I assume that was mostly due to the questionable tag, but he killed it. The funny thing is 30 points wasn't enough to be in the winning Millie Maker lineup because the other running backs did so good. Uh, but it seemed like we nailed that play. What do you think? Yeah, I was actually really nervous about that one too when I – uh, saw my exposures I was like man I my highest owned player is a running back coming off of an injury in a back you know, on an offense that kind of sucks in a backfield where like it could go poorly but then you kind of just think about the upside there too and it's like okay he's not getting any ownership it's kind of like the Aaron Jones play right you know like everyone's kind of just decided that uh, they're safer plays than Cordell Patterson but the upside is you know you have Ridley out you have a guy that catches a bunch of passes you have someone that is the best running back on the team as well and is likely to get goal line work and he's just getting no ownership so kind of just decided you know screw it if he doesn't have a good game it won't be the first time I've lost at NFL uh, but the the ceiling was just so high for someone in that price range getting virtually no ownership definitely uh, let's close this out by looking at the winners lineup uh, in the slant so Indiana Billy D, congrats on the 20K. Um, it looks like he ended up going to the Chargers. Uh, Herbert, he didn't run, he didn't have any other Chargers players other than Herbert in his lineup. So that's that's definitely a different approach than most people. It just shows that this uh, this how bad the sacks did on this slate, but uh how do you feel about the fact that he had Herbert and no Chargers receivers? I mean, it's not something I would have done. Um, it's it, it kind of goes back to what, like kind of when we talked about the correlation or negative correlation from the Millie winning lineup. Um, you can still build high scoring lineups that either don't have positive correlation or that have a little bit of negative correlation. It doesn't like it doesn't prevent that from happening. It just makes it less likely that you do. Um, so the reason that, you know, I'm always stacking somebody like Herbert or pretty much any quarterback with, you know, like rare exceptions like Tyrod Taylor this week, um, if Herbert, someone, you know, especially that, that isn't going to run for 100 yards or something, if, if Herbert has a tournament winning game, it's just really likely that somebody out of Keenan Allen or Mike Williams or Jared Cook had a good game. And so just put them in the same lineup and 
you know, it's, it's making it, you know, you always talk about uh, tournament teams kind of being like a parlay where you have to hit every spot or almost every spot. Um, just introducing positive correlation makes it so that at least if you get the quarterback, right, chances are the chances are better that you got that tight end spot or that wide receiver spot. Right. So uh, you can still, you know, build lineups that do really well like this one without stacking. It just makes it a lot more difficult to do it consistently. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And it is, um, I guess there are certain slates where stacking just doesn't work like this fast one. Uh, and there's not a lot you can do, I guess. Uh, and like obviously the million maker lineup was still stacked. So that just shows that even though it was really hard to, to get a stack to hit a lot this week, like the stack lineup still put up the highest score in the biggest tournament. So uh, it's, it's a, definitely a strategy that doesn't work 100% of the time, but more often than not, you're better off stacking. Anything else that you notice about this lineup? Uh, I mean, the, the plays, I think, were, were fine. Like, he, he did do a good job of mixing in, you know, some contrarian plays. Actually, overall, it was just a pretty contrarian lineup. Uh, the only popular piece he had, I guess, was uh, Pittman. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Fournette, like, like if you're not stacking Tampa Bay, Fournette makes sense just as a negative correlation play to the passing game. Uh, obviously, he hit on the Dolphins' defense. I thought Friar Muth was fine. I, I know I was overweight on Jerry Judy. Um, I, I think it's, you know, a bunch of good plays. Uh, just, you know, not the way I would have constructed a lineup. But uh, he made more money than me yesterday, too. So, <laughs> yeah. <who cares? laughs> yeah, only seven lineups. So, Indiana Billy D really nailed it. Congrats uh, to Billy. Um, so, that's going to do it for our, our recap here. But we have plenty more shows throughout the day. Uh, we just had our NFL showdown strategy show. So if you're looking for advice for tonight's slay, make sure to check that out with Lafayette, Matt Kajeski and former Chicago Bear, Alex Brown. Then we have the NBA shows. You were just on the NBA strategy show, breaking down tonight's games. And then we have uh fantasy football channel that has our fantasy football cha- uh, show today. So awesome. Fantasy football. And then the betting shows on awesome odds, YouTube. So if you guys are interested in, in fantasy football and, and betting content, make sure to go to the Fancy Football Nods YouTube channels. They're different channels. Finally, uh, we got our, our NBA pre-lock. So we got two hours of NBA leading up to the 7 p.m. lock. And then we have actually three hours, my bad. And then we have the NFL live before lock, taking all the way up to the showdown slate lock. So guys, make sure to subscribe uh, and if uh, on the way out, you can hit that thumbs up button that gives us a lot of uh, credit in the, the YouTube algorithm. So we appreciate that. And um, if uh, you guys just uh, thanks for checking out the show. Thanks. No house advantage. You can get $25 with the promo code. Awesome. And good luck uh, tonight and this week.